0: Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday, the 29th of March. Oh, it's chilly today. Dropped a right few degrees here in TW11. Probably just about scrambling up to double figures. But it reminds us, and reminds us well enough, that we're still very much in the jump season here in the UK with the Scottish National this weekend and the Grand National the week after that. And Of course, next week we'll be really building up to Aintree in earnest. Uh, as far as today goes, however, I think we can reflect on a few warning shots fired across the bows of anyone who thought that they were a force no longer to be reckoned with um, by Bally Doyle and Aidan O'Brien. Aidan had his annual pre-season press day yesterday, and he seemed in extremely good form, Racing Post senior writer Lee Mott said. Not only that, he was perhaps a little more forthcoming than usual, issuing a few names to watch over the over the coming months.
1: Yeah, he he absolutely was, Nick. And I think one of the things that I found uh, most interesting was uh, things he said about an unraced horse, which we'll we'll come on to in a second. But I suppose you you have to start with the headline horse from uh, the the two-year-old crop of last year in Balladol. That was Luxembourg, who heads the betting for the Kazoo Derby. He's very prominent in the betting as well for the, the Kitco 2000 Guinea and if there was a soundbite line to take from the, the Ballydoyle press day, it was Aidan's sentence about Luxembourg where he said, Luxembourg was always the horse. What a great line. Luxembourg was always the horse. In some ways, he was the horse for Ballydoyle among the Tyrols last season. They did have success in big Tirol races, but not to the extent that we have been used to. And I think if there was a horse who had an aura about him within Ballydoyle. It was Luxembourg. Uh, He signed off by winning the Racing Post Trophy, um, convincingly with Moore not having to get particularly busy with him. And we know that's a race in recent years has been increasingly relevant to the Guineas and the Derby. Before that, I remember being at Newmarket, Nick, when he won a a Group 2 at the Curra, And I spoke to Aidan after that race at a point when Aidan hadn't actually seen the Curra race, but he sort of mapped out in his words, what he believed would have happened in the race had he seen the race and what he said was exactly pretty much what had happened. He had a very high regard for the horse when we spoke that day. He continues to have a very high regard for the horse and I think it's clear from what he said that although this is a horse who is heading the derby market that he will go for the Guineas first and that he sees him as a horse with a legitimate chance of winning the 2,000 Guineas and then, and then on to the derby and then who knows what comes next? Maybe trying to avenge his, his stallion, uh, his side Camelot's defeat in the St. Ledger and uh, avenging that Triple Crown near miss. But heck, that's a lot of water to go under the bridge before then. And Charlie Appleby and others will have much to say about stopping Luxembourg. But also, there might well be uh, another horse within Bally Doyle who might stop Luxembourg fulfilling his Epsom Dream, and one of those is a horse who I'd never heard of before, Nick. Uh, an unraised three year old called Waterville, um, who was mentioned by Edna yesterday. He said, We have a horse that's called Waterville, who's never run before. He could be a good bit better than a maiden and may even be a derby horse. He's a Camelot half brother to C of Class, who was only just beaten in an arc for William Haggis. So I thought that was pretty interesting that Ada named. Um, uh, named an unraised three-year-old in connection with um, with the derby. Um, it's not un, it's not unprecedented for Balidol to win the derby with a horse who hadn't run as a juvenile. Rule of the world did it not that long ago. Serpentine only had one run as a juvenile, uh, finishing down the field in a back-end maiden. So interesting that Aidan was naming that horse as one who is very much towards the top of his his current packing order, and it's clear that when that horse does make his debut, which one would imagine would be in a maiden some point in early April, there will be many, many pairs of eyes on him.
0: Lee, I just want to draw your attention to the first classics of the season, the 1,000 and 2,000 guineas, for which, of course, Aidan O'Brien has, as you have pointed out, Luxembourg, possibly for the 2,000, and in the same colours, the Westerberg colours, now a big part of that Coolmore um, four ball, no longer a triumvirate, uh, Tenebrism in the 1,000 guineas, a um, horse over whom there's significant debate about whether, whether she'll get the trip or not. I think she will. Um, Guineas records Charlie Appleby, naught. William Haggis, naught. John Gosden, one. Aidan O'Brien, 17. <laughs> that's just, just Newmarket Guineas.
1: No, no. And in fact, if you look at those, if you look in particular at the two superpower operations, there was a period when, back in their day, when Godolphin would spend a lot of time poaching horses through their 2 old season, and often in the winter going into a into a Guineas campaign, a punter would react with horror if, like, finding out that Godolphin had bought a Guineas horse. Um, now that, I think, that 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 sense of fear doesn't exist anymore. Partly, I think, because Charlie Appleby is clearly so good and is having such enormous success and will, over the years to come, I'm sure, train a a string of of Guineas winners of of the 2,000 and the 1,000. But there is no doubt that of those big operations, Bally Doyle, Aidan O'Brien is the master at winning 2,000 Guineas and 1,000 Guineas, partly because he has such incredible raw material, but clearly he is very good at converting that raw material uh, into talent that can shine so early in the in the classic season of a of a three-year-old.
0: All right, just tidying up a few loose ends from Dubai. We're only seventy-two hours on, after all. And I don't think we really gave enough credit yesterday to the run of Pile Driver in the Shima Classic, who ran a screamer, didn't get the clearest of runs late, and still managed to cling on for for fourth and three hundred thousand US dollars. Could have been so much more, but surely trainer William Muir, it's it's encouraging given what happened in Saudi that you've got a, a platform to launch from for the rest of the year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I didn't hold back on what happened in Saudi it was. No no disrespect to anything or anyone, we just got a bad draw. You're running over the shortest distance you actually like. So once you're parked out wide and uh, you're doing two strides to everybody's one, then, you know, it just doesn't happen. Then the horse come down, so just everything went wrong. So it was nothing to do with the horse. If the horse hadn't have had the draw where he was or whatever, he would have been banged there because he was in fantastic shape. But then it just comes back. He's, he got a good draw. He jumped out, he travelled superb, and when when Frankie was walking back, because, you know, you've got to be delighted, he's run a fantastic race, beating three-quarters of a length, under a length, and Frankie's walking back, and I walked out and thought, and he just said, I'm sorry, well, I thought the splits would come, they always come, if, it was, if you'd have got the split, you had to have won. And he'd come back after, even after he'd won the... Even after he won the last race, he came come into the restaurant and he came over to us and he said, sorry lads, he said, if you'd have got the split, you'd have, you'd have had to have been there and won.
0: Obvious question. Um, what do you do with him now?
2: Well, it's a question, it's a very good question, because before the race, the owners would like to go back to Hong Kong at the end of the year, and they would like to go to the Ark, so... Me as a trainer, I know you cannot train a horse 12 months of the year without giving horse a break. Now, he had a long break in the summer, so he still doesn't need his break yet, but I've got to be conscious about the races they would like to go towards the back end of the year. Um, I, I've asked him if I can just monitor him for the first 10 days to, to see he comes out of the race. Well, which is first steps. He's flown back brilliant. He lost very little in the race. I mean, he lost about seven eight kilos in the race but the next morning he'd put six kilos back on before he flew um if he shows his well-being it's 10 weeks i can give him a little little sort of four or five four or five weeks just tipping away and then get him back up for the coronation cup
0: which is the the obvious target as he as he won it last year and then after the coronation cup you can't then go full steam through the season can you
2: No, we'd we'd give him time to the King George. And that's why the question was, we were going to give him a break and miss the coronation. uh, But Frankie's words were, you've got to run this horse in the King George because it's his race. That was just Frankie's opinion. And he said, and and if Martin... If Martin's not back one hundred percent, I am still that you won't get me off him. So I was pleased he said that as well, because you yeah, know, if Martin's back, it's his ride. But if he if he's if he's not recovered from whatever, um, then it's nice and Frankie wants to stay on him. He believes in him.
0: And from one delighted but a little bit frustrated trainer coming out of Dubai too, I think someone who'll just be delighted with the performance of, of her filly Saffron Beach in the in the Dubai turf. Jane Chappell, Hyam. Uh, Jane, did she exceed your expectations?
3: Yes, in the sense that she'd never travelled out of England before. And so it was a learning curve for us all. And yet, we're delighted with fourth. Uh, we hadn't had a run leading into the race, which all the others had. And Holly reported that she hit a flat spot. So that's understandable. So, yeah
0: it's good mean the great thing about a older filly like her who can go strongly run mile maybe even 10 furlongs and seems quite adaptable is that you've got loads of options almost too many options how do you pick your way through the next few months
3: well just reading the racing post i see mother earth and bayad are going to uh the lockings so that's going to be interesting. But I think we have to see. Our Philly hasn't even been back 24 hours, so I've got to see what she's like over the next fortnight, to be fair. But, yes, we've got nice options for the summer, and so it's good.
0: What if you could design the perfect race for her? What would it be in terms of trip, ground, track, etc.?
3: If I could design my own race?
0: Mm.
3: Okay. Four-year-olds and upwards, Philly's and mares, One Mile, Ascot, or Newmarket.
0: Perfect. So... Oh, Group One. I oh, see. There now. There's the. There's the, there's, the, there's the. There's the rub. I mean, I suppose the Windsor Forest then would be her race, but it's a Group Two.
3: Yeah, I have to see what the what the team want to do. But long term, long term, it makes it easy, doesn't it? Beverly D and um, Phillies and Mare's Breeders Cup, but it's 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 June July.
0: Okay, where, where are they running the Beverly D now? Oh, they're moving down to Churchill Downs, I believe, for so the Arlington Million and the Beverly D. Okay, so that and then Breeders Cup Fillies and Mayor Turf at the end of the year it, is the is getting a huge international prize. Something that is absolutely at the top of your agenda, given the way you've campaigned your horses over the years.
3: Oh, I would say so, yes, definitely. And we've we've got, you know, we've always gone with, you know. 33, 50 to 1 shots, but now we've got a live chance. So it's nice. The team's had all the experience of travelling and we know what we're doing. So it's good in that sense.
0: Okay, who are the um, key players for the Chapelheim team this year apart from Saffron Beach? You've got a couple of really smart three-year-olds. I mean, Claymore, I suppose, is is, is the top of the list.
3: Yeah, and he's trained well and he'll go wherever we get a little bit of giving the ground for his first run back. Um, I would prefer be at Newmarket for the Craven, but I'm guessing it's going to be the Greenham at Newbury. Tends to have it a bit more give in the ground this time of the year rather than the Raleigh Mile.
0: And as far as that horse's ultimate distance requirements are concerned, what do you think?
3: Um, well, interesting. He's, um, I'm sort of in the same box I was a year ago with Saffron Beach by New Bay, so we're all learning a bit about him. Um, the sire but I'm kind of swinging towards the French guineas and then the French derby that's that's my feel mm-hmm. at the moment
0: So the St Mark's Basilica route for, for Claymore who's one for one I was really impressed with heat of the moment at, at Yarmouth beating favourite child on the bridle I mean the form isn't that much as it stands but do you think she could be pretty good?
3: I think she's a quiet achiever she, you know, she's not sparkling in a, her gallops here, but she's had one go and a bit of giving the ground up Warren Hill, and um, I like what I saw. So she'd probably head for um, the Fred Darling and then the Phillies, Guineas in France. You know, if all goes well, and we get a bit of bit of ease in the ground.
0: And then, of course, you've got Belosa, who looked really good the first couple of starts last year and ran well in that uh, in that Class 2 behind Edrack at, at Kempton. Do you think she's a, a filly that can win a, a decent stakes race, a good stakes race this year?
3: Yeah, and whether that be say for example, I don't know up at York in the Duke of York or we're, you know we're gonna we're gonna try going back to six and she likes to hit the gates and run. so we're gonna we're gonna give six furlongs a go this year and um, see where we are.
0: All right, Jane Chappell, there. And before that, William Muir. And they've got lots to look forward to with lots of horses for the coming season. Jane mentioned Baid there. William Haggis is Baid unbeaten. I wonder, uh, Lee, if he does start in the Lockinge, whether he might actually just follow the exact campaign mapped out by Franklin in his four year old career. So, i.e., go Lockinge, Queen Anne, Sussex stakes, up in trip for the Judmont International, then the Champion stakes. Thanks very much. Off to be a, a cracking stab that. <laughs> if I was to have a bet on it, that's the way it would go. But it's, he's got to get to all of them first.
1: Yeah, he has, of course, and that's a, that's a big if in the career of any 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 racehorse. Um, but it would be great to see that. Um, I think racing fans we want to see the top horses tested in in different ways. And although there's nothing at all wrong with seeing a, a great miler sweep through the the top championship mile races in a calendar year, um, I think we love to see horses trying new things um, and if Bayeed did go up in trip it would be great for us the fans but of course it would also be great for Bayeed as a, a long-term standing prospect.
0: Of course it would be even better if having discussed what we discussed yesterday uh, some of our Japanese friends just threw a few ball bearings across the dance floor uh, just to make life that little bit more, more tricky for
1: him. Yeah it would um, and it sounds as though that is entirely possible. Interesting that that probably wouldn't necessarily be um, as um, greeted with, with as much enthusiasm as we might think by, by uh, the, Japan, the Japan Racing Association, which, which runs a sport over there. I was out there in 2019 doing a, a week over there for covering the Japan Cup, but also doing some special reports on on Japanese racing. And one thing that struck me there was the, the senior executives there were actually feeling that, that they reached a point where they actually wanted their horses to stay in Japan more. That not a few years ago, when they were trying to build the reputation of Japanese racing, they needed horses to shine on an international stage. They rather regret now that those international stars are not running in all the top Japanese Group One races. Um, that said, the the prestige the races we've seen recently in Saudi Arabia and Dubai have brought on Japan as a racing nation is huge. I'm sure they'll also be able to see the brighter side of some of these stars racing outside of Japan now and again. I thought it was, an, again, another amazing day, uh, Nick, for, for Japan, as Lydia was saying on the programme yesterday. Um, I was blown away when I was over there. And just a few things I think I'd pick up from, from what we saw over the two days and uh, the two, those two metres and maybe why it's, why it's happening. I think the, the, the points made yesterday were all, were all very relevant, all, all, all excellent. I'd also highlight the fact that there's really a concentration um, of excellence in Japanese racing, partly because they have so few Group 1 races. Um, we've spoken when we've tried to figure out why maybe British jump racing isn't faring as well as, as Irish jump racing. We, we, we've highlighted the fact that sometimes our, our, our big jumps races through the winter are a little bit weaker than the Irish ones because horses have so many options and they can duck and dive and they may maybe not as hardened as the Irish horses are. Well, in Japan, there are so few group one races, 24 group one races, I think in a, in a candidate something around that figure. And it means that the best horses always have to take on the best horses because there are so few top flight targets for those horses. And another point I thought that you, you made yesterday about how great it is to see, um, success among those japanese horses across so many different individuals um and again i think that's partly again due to their their system the jra is very strict in saying that any individual trainer can only have at any one time 30 horses um in a in a in their in their boxes on the on the on the racecourse so 30 horses in training effectively at any one time with no more than 45 horses Outside of, outside of the yard, which in effect means that no trainer can have more than 75 horses in training at any one time with only 30 actually available to run at that point. And I think that again underlines why no one individual can become so powerful that they dominate the sport in a way that perhaps we see over here. Um, so, so many reasons why Japanese racing is, is, is doing so well. The enthusiasm of the fans is great to see. Um, I thought the point that Lydia made yesterday about the, the, the massive importance of punters other than how much they fund the sport and that, that should be acknowledged. And we maybe to acknowledge that more over here as well. But what, what you're seeing isn't a flash in the pan. They embrace the right sort of stallions too as well. They, they, they love stamina, which... Is doing them great things too. So, I said, "What? it's not a flash in the pan. It's great to see, and we will continue seeing it.
0: Let's talk about this weekend's action in the UK and the Scottish Grand National. We spoke a little bit to uh, Nigel Twiston Davis yesterday. I mean, if you're looking at air this weekend through the prism of this four way go for the Trainers' Championship, Lee, then um, who do you think has the most interesting weekend in prospect?
1: Dan Skelton's got plenty of decent horses running across the across the air card, um, Paul Nichols as well, you'd expect him to do well, Nicky Henderson has a serious shot at the Scottish champion hurdle, I don't think though that this is going to be a particularly definitive day in the in the Championship, I think Aintree is going to, by i time getting get to the end of Aintree, I think we're going to have a very clear idea of where things are, particularly if Willie Mullins' sends a big squad across to Aintree. And we still don't know that. We still don't know quite how Willie is going to embrace Aintree. Traditionally, it's been a meeting he's largely avoided, except for the, the Grand National and maybe the Melling Chase. If he wants to go out for the British trainer's title, he'll have to send a, a big team to, to Aintree. Um, so I think air might be less important than we, than we would normally think. And I think another factor for that too is that the prize money isn't actually what it has been in the past what we've what we've tended to see uh, in the last few months maybe the last year or so is race courses generally have been able to restore prize money levels of of the major races to at or near their previous levels sometimes even in advance that's been a struggle it seems for for air this weekend the Scottish Grand National the Coral Scottish Grand National when it was run In 2019, the last pre-COVID running, it didn't take place in 2020. Obviously, last year was badly hit by COVID. In 2019, it was worth £215,000. This year, it's only worth £150,000. So a big drop, the Scottish champion hurdle in 2019 was worth £105,000. This year, it's £60,000. Now, perhaps they're also minded by the fact that because this year they're coming before Aintree, inevitably, they might have a uh, a weaker set of races than they would do in, in normal circumstances. So hopefully by the time we get to next year, uh, we'll be in a position to to get those races back to what they used to be. Because then, so looking at the races this year, they are down in quality. I don't think the, the champion hurdle or the grade two novice chase look particularly inspiring contests. The the Grand National has a, a highest rated horse of 149. The 10-year the average of... Uh, the top-rated horse in the Scottish National has been one five six, one five seven. So I don't think we're going to have a, a great Scottish champion hurdle day uh, this year, but, uh, but it's going to be interesting, clearly. Hopefully in 2023, those prize money levels will be back to what they were in 2019.
0: Well, one thing that has really characterised the bloodstock world since the beginning of the pandemic has been the explosion, the growth of the online auction and the online auction house. Delighted this morning to check in with Jacob Pritchard Webb, who is the UK and Ireland representative for Octave uh, Auction House based in France, who've got some very interesting offerings tomorrow. Uh, Jacob, great to talk to you. Just tell me, first of all, a little bit about how you have got involved with with Octave.
4: So I actually ran up Toby Jones, who's also a member of the team, um, to claim a horse. And then um, off the back of that, uh, a couple of weeks later, he rang me with... um, the proposition to be involved with Octave and he thought it would be a he'd spoken to the team and they they saw me as a a good fit for the company with having ridden in in England and contacts over in England and still have a a foot in the doors out in France.
0: For those who aren't familiar we've spoken a few times in the past you were riding in France and your career was going really well you had a horrific fall in 2020 which left you paralysed from the from the waist down and and rebuilding your career has been um, incredible to behold. Since then, in addition to this, you're, I, I see you regularly on Sky Sports Racing. Uh, how how are you finding still being involved in the game?
4: I suppose sometimes that can be uh, mixed feelings day to day. You're I'm um, highly appreciative and grateful to be part of the horse racing industry still, and um, and I'm learning all the time, um, especially. With uh, Through Media and Bloodstock, it's a different area that I hadn't, hadn't been a part of or looked into before uh, my accident. But obviously with that, you know, there, there are the times where you miss it heavily and, and wish you could still be doing it. But um, in some ways, um, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm very happy now. I've got more stuff going on than I had before. So, um, um, you know, you've just got to take everything with a pinch of salt and, and be happy with how things are.
0: And in terms of this Octave auction that's taking place tomorrow, Wednesday, there's a, a, one particularly interesting lot that stood out to me, which is a, a nomination to Dr. Dino, who's been a prolific sire in France over the last few years. But this is, this is in aid of a, a very special appeal. Just tell us a bit more about it.
4: So, yes, yeah, so the Dr. Dino syndicate has offered a covering of Dr. Dino uh, for sale um, he stands for about 20,000 euros at Harris de Mesnil. Um, I mean, we all know about his exploits as a stallion. The money that he, that the covering of the stallion is bought for will then be donated to UNICEF France from Octave, which will go towards helping the kids out that are out in Ukraine currently during the, um, the crisis and the war out right there. And
0: there are a couple of interesting wild cards as well that I know you wanted to just draw our attention to.
4: Yeah, so um, the first one would be Ikea Grandchamp, who is a four-year-old gelding by Capcard, who is a sire of Aplutard. Um, this horse in particular is a half-brother to the French King George and Group 1 winner of last year, Polly Grandchamp. And the other one is a um, another four-year-old gelding by a relatively young sire, um, most English uh, people probably wouldn't have heard of him yet. He's just having his first four year olds. um says small crop so far, triple threat. But he had a group three winner last year who's gone on to win over fences this year. So um, doing well from a small crop. And he won at Fontainebleau by five lengths on it, just his second start.
0: Jacob Pritchard-Webb, and you can bid for all those um, items, including that Dr. Dino nomination in aid of the UNICEF appeal to support the children of Ukraine on Octav, A-U-C-T-A-V dot com. And the first Octav live sale is on the 31st of August from Le Rouge Terre in Normandy. Well, as we always do on this day every week, we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their global stallion app and their stallion book i'm delighted to check in with morris burns the owner of the famous rathaska stud in ireland this week three stallions in the stud book as well cool steve bungle in the jungle and gregorian but it's about so much more than that morris because yours is a, a stud and a family uh, steeped in history um and and it's it, it goes back several generations w- was your interest there right from the very start
5: Oh yes because uh, my father Paddy Burns you know we started off uh, he was a mixed farmer county down always had mares always had interest so from a young age we were sort of you know engrossed in the business and you know you know it just because of the daily thing you were doing it sort of got ingrained in your head that's what you wanted to do and we all loved it and Seamus and Patrick myself were all everyone stood stud farms and you know, we've, we've, been, we've been very lucky, as you might say. My, my my father's name was always named was Lucky Paddy Burns because he was an extremely lucky man. Um, and uh, he started up there and he bred a number of good horses. Including, he had a mare called Ballymiss, bred followers who was the champion to old Philly in Europe. She was by Red God. Then in the early 70s, he decided to expand and he, he was on the way to Coolmore with a mare and he spotted a sign for a farm for sale and that was Lodge Park. And he dropped in and had a look at it and he bought it. And we all moved in the early seventies down down to Clikenny in, in, in Lodge Park. And then in the first couple of years we were there, he, he also you know, he was he heavy involved in, in Red God. And he bred Greenland Park, who won the Queen Mary and also Red Hunted, who won the Coventry, who in and, and, and time to come then became first Stallion to stand at Asker. Um, so, you know, it was sort of Every year, you know, you were you falls on the ground, and you were you know, we were trying to just good race horses, and
0: you know, trying to keep the business going. So, you know, everything just progressed through that. You know, what do you feel your father taught you about looking after animals, about animal husbandry?
5: From the start, he always said the most important thing was the you know, when the mare is fall, and first of all, you get a, get the fall out. Then you have to look after that fall as best you can. You know, just to, to rear it up as strong as you can, and then when you get a good strong animal, then it's, it has a chance of performing. So he said, you just got to feed, look after, it, mind it. You know, just 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 like you look after a baby, you just have to look after it well. You
0: know. I, mean, I ask so many people in this slot what they look for in stallions, but they're people who stand so many different types of stallion. If I look at yours now, um, Bungle in the Jungle, Coolsty, Gregorian. There's nothing that obviously unites them in my mind, but there's obviously something in your mind that you're you're going for, that you're looking for, that you think will work. What is it?
5: Well, look, you know, we, we, a lot of the thing is to do with price as well, because you know we're we're a family commercial operation, so I mean we don't have big investors, so we have to try and look and find something other people have, may have missed, and you know over the years we've been very lucky. We had Mudgett, who was a horse we bought off Hound, and he was really a uh, you know he was. A horse that had fractured his pelvis and all these bits and pieces, little problems. But you know his race record, I liked, and you know I liked and liked his pedigree. And then I had to forgive a few physical things because he was, you know, he wasn't the most beautiful horse in the world. But he was able to produce runners, and he produced I mean, a lot of good, very good horses for us and our, all our clients. And then Fast Company, we went over to Sheikh Mohammeds to look at him, and we looked at about ten horses in the yard. And he just caught me, I just, you know, I just said he fiz- fiz- he was a fine looking horse and he had Group 1 performance. You know, he was a Group 1 winner in France, he won the French guineas. A lot of people knocked on him because he was only about 15-2, uh, but on the small side. But he was a good walker and a good shape and he had a good enough pedigree. So, you know, they were the previous horses then. Gregorian, we bred, so I knew him very well. And he knew he was good physical. I knew he was a good hardy, or tough horse, and you know had a bit of class. He was placed in you know the the the, the, the James Palace, and he was placed in the July Cup and the Queen Anne. So I knew he had class. So I knew him well. Bungle the Jungle had been on the radar for a number of uh, different farms. Uh, I knew at the time as a two-year-old, but then he didn't really train on very well. Things went wrong with physically. Little physical problems, with his joints and things like that. Uh, so I knew him. I was friendly with Mick Shannon. I flew over to Mick's I looked at the horse. I said, you know, he's got plenty of speed, pedigree. Um, I just, I liked eating XC and Excel. I, and then I went and bought him. Cool. See, we were looking at different horses and I had a thing in my head that Kodiak would be a, with Kodiak, such a good, well-bred horse, uh, with all the good bloodline he has, that there was a chance he could be a sire of sires. Um, because uh, he was a half brother, then Vincent spurred by Danehill, da- uh, by, by Danehill, uh, and I just said that you know there was a possibility he was a stallion that possibly he could would throw good sires. So I went looking at a number of his sons. I looked at Cody Bear. Um, uh, on the same day, actually, as I looked at coolsty and Rathbarry got him. I got coolsty and uh, Rathbarry, you're lucky with Cody Bear. He's done well, and we've done very well with, with Coolsey, so you know there's it's a sort of a it's a a bit you know it's a it's a loads of things mixed together and you have to figure out you know will this suit you you know
0: and, and it has suited you really well I mean last year Bungle in the Jungle had had Winter Power who was just spectacular in the in the Nunthorpe um, it, it, it's interesting that he's now developing a reputation as not just a sire of two-year-olds
5: yeah no the winner the other day on the Coro on 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 Saturday I think he's a one I think it was one well, maybe from his first crop I think he's a five year old and he's won every year and he's been a good real good servant for for william McCreary and know and that proves they go on and uh you know there's honestness the day long i mean he injects loads of speed into his mares and um you know he's just he's a bit like what muchchell was actually he's, he just gets that. You know that toughness into the into the stock you just try hard for you and, 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 and are easy enough to train you know
0: and, and it strikes me that you you are as, as interested as much in in the people that you deal with as you are in the in the horses
5: oh yeah without your customers you're you're not going anywhere you know you need you need to base the customers who are loyal and stay with you and um you know then when your horse is successful like we have three very successful stallions here at the moment then you, you know, you get all the customers that, you know, have never been to you before and so so hopefully they'll stay with you in the future as well. So, no, it's like, like it's any business, you know, know, whether you've got a, a corner shop or a shoe shop or whatever, you need customers and you need loyal customers and if you can get loyal in your customers, your business will stay going.
0: Well, thanks to uh, Morris, to Jacob, Jane and William earlier on in the show. Lee Nottertel is still with me. Lee, before we get a tip from you for today, we ought to just acknowledge that, uh, well, remind everybody that the uh, appeal into Robbie Dunn's uh, suspension takes place tomorrow or is scheduled to take place tomorrow. We should be mindful after after last week. Scheduled to take place tomorrow at the, uh, at the BHA. Are we expecting this to
1: be long, short? What are we expecting? I've got to be honest, Nick, I, Nick, I'm not sure what to expect. Um, obviously, I, I, I was one of those media who covered the the initial hearing, which was a uh, a three-day affair. I think the expectation is this will be a much shorter um, hearing, but I, at this stage, I don't know who will be seeing hearing from tomorrow, what the nature of the, the legal arguments will be. So um, I, I would like to be able to give informed comment on this, Nick. At this stage... I can't, but clearly it's going to be a huge relevance to to, to Robbie Dunham and others.
0: Yes, it is. And obviously we'll be monitoring that on the podcast for you for the rest of the week. So a tip for today.
1: A tip for today, Nick. Okay, I'm going to go in the 3.15 at Fontwell on this occasion. Um, I'm going to go with a horse called What's Up With You, trained by Ben Pauling. Uh, who could have a live shot in the Grand National this year with Kildesart, Um, but he could have a live shot in the 3.15 at Fontwell, the horse who has been dropping down the weights. Clearly uh, doesn't look as good as uh, was once the case, but I say it has has come down uh, in the figures. Didn't run a bad race last time, and I think what's up with you could bounce back in the 3.15 at Fontwell.
0: Lee, thanks so much. Thank you for listening as well. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends, tell me what you would like to hear more of by leaving a review on any one of your podcast platforms and give us a rating if you're kind enough as well at the same time. That was Tuesday, March the 29th. I'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitstairs,